This is the Low Tox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 161. I have the wonderful Kate Johnston, naturopath and nutritionist, joining me to talk about supplements. We're talking quality, sourcing, packaging, the need for them, how to know when to choose food instead, uh, herbs versus uh, other types of nutraceuticals. We go quite deep indeed, and it's a really great way to navigate a topic that sometimes people feel a bit confused about. Uh, And what I really love, especially from the sourcing and sustainability perspective, is uh, lifting the lid on the whole fish oil industry. So uh, enjoy that chat today. I hope you're enjoying the beautiful new song that we have at the start of the podcast by the wonderful Australian independent artist, Melanie Horsnell. Uh, who has been so kind as to let me share that with you. And uh, I also want to welcome all the new members of the Low Tox Club. For those of you who haven't heard of the club before, you can join anytime you want via Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and it's a teeny tiny $4 US a month. And for that, uh, you can support the show with more if you want. There are a few wonderful people out there that do. Um, But that's all I ask for you to then have access to 20% off all of our e-courses, our wonderfully supportive and very much loved and used by you guys, Practitioner Thread on Tuesdays, where you can chat to our naturopath, Steph, and workshop anything that might be going on for you and anything you're confused about how to move forward on in your health or your family's health. And uh, also we do some really gorgeous supportive challenges around all things low tox. Uh, We just wrapped up a couple of weeks ago a um, daily five challenge where we supported each other to do, uh, what did we do? We did eight glasses of water, three items in a gratitude journal, a massive belly laugh, uh, 30 minutes of movement and five different colored veggies, uh, in every single day for a week. And it's just always so interesting to go through those sorts of challenges with a group and see where people come unstuck and, and how, uh, people's kind of morale changes when they make space to tick off some of those big, uh, things for ourselves that help us thrive day to day. So that's a little window into life as a Lotox Club member, and I would love for you to join us on the Patreon website, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and you pledge your $4 a month, and then you get given the Facebook chat group link, and everything happens through there. So I'll see you over there. Uh, I wanted to remind you before we hook into the chat, please feel free to forward a couple of minutes if you're an overseas listener. Um, This one's for the Aussies. Although, actually, Block Blue Light, our first sponsor, does ship worldwide fast and free. And the 10% off is good for you guys as well. So actually, maybe you don't want to fast forward. Uh, So Block Blue Light, to explain, is a premium supplier of all things blue light blocking. And you would have heard a couple of years ago, those of you who've been listening to the show for a while, when I did that show on sleep with Alex Fergus, he did an amazing experiment on completely removing all blue light from his life past sunset uh, for six weeks. And the effect that it had on his sleep was just amazing. Uh, and so that was kind of what got me thinking, you know, I really need to prioritize this and bring some blue light blocking products into my home. I have an online business. I spend a lot of time in front of a computer. And while I absolutely don't want any of that to change because of the amount of people I'm able to support with my team in having a business like that, By the same token, I also want to look after my own health and mitigate any ill effects of working that way and working online. So daylight screen blocking glasses uh, and nighttime ones as well, light bulbs, either the amber ones, which we have around the home that we use at night um, that block the majority of blue light or nighttime, like middle of the night, night lights that are red, that have absolutely no blue or green light in them. 
uh, and uh, the red lens sleep glasses actually uh, block I think they block 100% of blue and green light and that's the stuff that interferes with your melatonin production. So if you're having sleep issues, you want to get yourself a pair of the really orangey looking ones and these days they're looking better and better to wear. I remember the first pair I got, my husband um, thought I was a member of the Star Trek cast. Uh, Now I don't get teased quite so much. Um, but you have 10% off this month. Lotox Life is your code. The, the link is bit.ly, um, uh, sorry, bit.ly forward slash block underscore blue underscore light. But all the details are in the show notes. We also have a competition where you could win a $400 sleep pack. Uh, and the details of that are, I mean, the list of things that you're going to win is pretty much one of everything from their store. Uh, and the way that you win it is by um, joining them over on their Instagram page and Facebook, liking the competition post on Instagram, tagging a couple of friends in the post uh, so that they have the opportunity to win as well. Maybe you might want to divvy up that pack if you're the lucky winner. Uh, and the entries are going to close on 27th of October 2019. So all the details for this are in the show notes as well, uh, which you can always access by heading to lotoxlife.com forward slash podcast and clicking on today's show. Our other special offer also has a giveaway and a crazy good deal is Solid Techniques. And I love these guys. I've worked with Mark Henry. We co-developed the wonderful stainless nickel-free Noni baking tray, which is valued at $299 and you could win one. Let me tell you how. So if you buy an Ugh, tongue-tied. If you buy a Solid Technics piece this month that's valued at $249 or more, not only will you receive a free 22-centimeter Oz Iron Sauteurs, really good little um, frying pan, that's valued at $119.95, Uh, you will also go into the running to win the tray. So uh, the winner of that one will be announced in the first week of October. And the way that you um, get access to that special offer is with the code LOTOX, one word, and you head to solidtechnics.com forward slash shop. Off you go. Enjoy all of the goodness that is helping you make low-tox swaps this month. A huge thank you to both Block Blue Light and Solid Technics for supporting the show this month. And now I want to introduce wonderful naturopath and nutritionist. In fact, she's the naturopath and nutritionist from my entire family, Kate Johnston, a wealth of knowledge to talk to us about the world of supplements. Enjoy. Hello, Kate. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm great. And I have had you on pretty much every e-course that we have available, but I've never had you on the podcast. So I'm so (laughs) excited that you're here uh, on a topic that you're passionate about, which is not only supplementation for all the benefits it can provide in the right clinical context, but also some of the downsides. And I think we need to talk about that, not just from a quality perspective, but a sustainability perspective and an additive perspective. You know, so often we're really conscious about what's in this, you know, uh, spread or what's in that packet of chips and we're not thinking what's in this calcium or, you know, whatever else. So it's going to be really exciting. But before we hook into supplements, I would love to ask you, please, what drew you specifically to uh, health sciences and in particular, naturopathy and nutrition, because I know you actually have qualifications in both. Yeah. Maybe even why did you feel like you wanted both? Because that's yeah. sometimes people specialize really specifically too. Yeah. Um, I guess like so many practitioners and people out there, it really was through my own personal experience. So mm-hmm. I didn't come from a family who really delved into natural therapies at all I think you know the most was a bit of olive leaf extract if we had a cold and I yeah that was kind of the extent of it um so throughout my teens and 20s I suffered from many digestive issues and had the same story that I hear from many patients that 
you know, I went to a doctor, I was told you're fine, went to another doctor, told you're fine, did a few tests, told you're fine. And this went on for, oh gosh, it would have been over 10 years before anything kind of popped up from a medical point of view. And through that time and feeling pretty disheartened and uncomfortable every day, I started to explore diet just of my own accord um, and kind of that was influenced by a close friend of mine who was veg or is vegetarian and that was something that I hadn't really looked into before so started playing with my own diet and then being the type of person that I am when I play with my own diet I started reading everything and I wanted to know specifically why I was feeling differently or what else I could maybe change and that led me eventually to thinking well if I'm really loving this and I'm borrowing every book possible from the library I may as well go and study it so originally I was actually working in advertising at the time so a completely different life and I thought I'll just do this as a bit of an interest course on the side because I, I quite enjoyed what I was doing but as I started studying just by correspondence I realized actually I love this and if I love it so much I may as well just do it so um, coincidentally the advertising agency that I worked at was across the road from the natural therapies college that I ended up studying at so I had a particularly difficult day at work one day and thought no that's it I'm done resigned marched across the road enrolled and then the next year I started studying um, nutritional medicine um, for me the plan was always to study nutrition first and then see how I felt and maybe go back and study naturopathy but once I got into the college and immersed in all of the learnings and amongst other students who were learning from both streams, I realized, actually, I really want to do all of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I ended up um, doing naturopathy as well. So I had a crazy few years there where I know there was a few terms of doing 12 subjects a term, which I just look back and think, oh, my goodness, that's ridiculous but <laughs> I just had to get all of the information in um, and I just loved it so much so yeah that's sort of how I fell into it and from there it's just my passion has continued to grow and I think still governed by my personal experience but also now seeing how much we can change you know our patients experience as well so I feel really fortunate to be doing a job which doesn't feel like a job um, and to really yeah be able to help people enjoy their life more essentially beautiful and you literally help my entire family yes so we're very grateful to you <laughs> I love your family <laughs> I'm grateful to be helping awesome um, and so when it comes to supplements like obviously uh, in your first years as a clinician you know we can be quite bright-eyed you get to chat to all these important reps about yeah. these amazing <laughs> products and how they're helping people and of course many of them do mm. um, but at what point Point, did you become curious mm. around sourcing and packaging and mm. all the rest? Yeah. So I think um, I started to ask more questions. So throughout my years of study um, and before I was full-time as a clinician, I worked in a health food store and then I worked for um, a distributor, which mainly was around functional testing, but we did have some supplements as well. And it was through both of those avenues that I really started to think more about, okay, well, if these products are really good and I know that, um, you know, particular brands are sourcing their products well, they have a social conscience, they're, you know, um, ethical in all of their methods from the farming all the way through the processing. Mm. It's like, well, what are some of the other companies doing if that's not the norm? Um, and I guess I realised... Some of it actually is when you're thinking about price point. And I think with supplement being such a huge, huge industry, um, and we start to think, you know, we see supplements on the shelf in the supermarket, for example, and they're really cheap. And we think that's normal. And so then we're looking at these practitioner supplements and asking the question, well, why are they so expensive? But actually the question needs to be flipped the other way around and not, and as a, you know, this is a bit of a generalization, there's going to be exceptions to every rule, but I think we need to be asking how are they making that so cheap if it's still going to be therapeutic, if it's still going to be 
you know, um, not completely endangering the environment that it's come from, if people are still being paid at a reasonable wage the whole way through the processing. And when I got that question into my head, I kind of couldn't let it go. Mm. <laughs> um, and I mean, it is a minefield. There are so many supplements, so many different companies, so many different products. So knowing the ins and outs of all of them, I'd say is virtually, well, nothing's impossible, but that would be very challenging. Um, so it's really about aligning with brands that you do know have that sustainability practice or, um, you know, a strong stance on things like GMOs or excipients that they use. Um, and then, yeah, looking more closely at their products if, you know, when you need to or when you're prescribing them to someone. Mm. And, um, and that brand knowledge makes it... Um easier to then navigate uh, price because like something like vitamin D or selenium, it can be really cheap to get a great quality version exactly. of those sorts of nutrients. But then yes. something else like a single strain rare probiotic or something that's really hard yes. to cultivate and manufacture can be much more expensive. So like, I, I really like that you um, qualified that first statement with there are exceptions to every rule because yes. there's also exceptions to the cost of making certain nutrients versus yeah, others. Mm. Absolutely. Um, and I think in terms of the packaging and sustainability there, it'd have to be much more recently, I have to say, that that's been on my radar. Um, I think a lot of this has sort of come about since having my son and thinking more, and this is probably, I feel it's like a bit selfish on my part that I hadn't thought about it in great detail, detail until he arrived, but really thinking about the world that I'm leaving behind for him. And while I was relatively conscious in the spectrum of not at all conscious to amazing and doing everything right, um, I think having him here has really magnified that. And now I'm just looking far beyond my personal life and what we do within the home, which has always been quite good and looking more at my business practices and realizing actually in my prescribing over the years, I've probably contributed to a large part of the problem because most supplements, you know, if we're thinking capsules, powders, some tablets, they do come in plastic, um, not all brands do have those sustainable, you know, farming and processing methods. So, yeah, it really, he has been a big motivator in changing um, the way that I do business and the way that I treat patients as well. Mm. Uh, welcome to parenthood, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. They just switch the light on for you and open your eyes much, much wider yeah. than, than we could ever imagine was possible when mm. you've got that motivation, mm. not only on to raise the healthiest, most thriving little being you can, but also on the legacy yes. that yeah. you leave behind. I totally agree. Mm. So how do we navigate this then? Um, let's have a look at, um, let's actually have a look at how, how we can be sure that we're not just being prescribed supplements willy nilly because, you know, obviously a clinician can only make so much per hour mm -hmm. and, and supplements are an additional income in terms of the markup. If you know, you keep stock just like in a store mm. and, um, and sell them to your patients how can we make sure as patients that we're literate enough and we ask the mm. right questions enough to know when we really do need the, the supplements that are being prescribed yep. versus potentially being able to get them from food? Mm. Yeah. So I guess the first thing um, with supplementation, it really should be the icing on the cake in most situations. Mm -hmm. Again, there's exceptions to every rule. And I think there's, um, you know, particular conditions or particular moments in time where supplements are really important. But for the most part, until you have your food, your sleep, your quality of water, the quality of your thoughts, um, some of these other, you know, dietary and lifestyle things in check, then you could take all the supplements in the world, but you're not necessarily going to be getting that much benefit from it. So in terms of working with your practitioner, um, I mean, the way that I work with my patients is 
we do testing usually upfront and that's going to direct our supplements in a lot of the time. So when we're thinking nutraceuticals, we can often get a bit of an indication from blood tests as to whether they need particular nutrients or not. Um, I mean, they're always going to need the nutrients, but whether they need them in a supplement form. I also, the whole way through, will basically be doing diet and lifestyle coaching. So usually, just as an example, if let's say somebody comes back with really low iron, it's not that I just hand over an iron supplement and say, there you go, see you later. We have the conversation around, okay, what foods can I be getting this from? You know, looking at plant-based forms of iron versus animal-based forms of iron in your diet, how to consume iron so that you're going to absorb it the best. Um, and then asking the question, well, why was your iron low to begin with? Are we looking at that you weren't getting enough through your diet? Is there maybe some kind of um, malabsorption issue happening? Is there somewhere where you might be having a constant bleed that's depleting you of your iron? So I think looking at it holistically in that sense and not just saying you're low in the bloods, here's a supplement, I'll see you later. Mm, <laughs> um, yeah. And then, I mean, you can't with every single um, nutrient or you definitely can't with herbs, I guess, test in the blood whether it's something that you need or you don't. So yes, there's other ways we can measure that, whether it's through other styles of testing that are looking more at, you know, let's say hormonal pathways, for example, or adrenal function, um, or even just with your symptoms, how you're feeling, measuring is this actually making me feel better? What should be my expectation around when I should feel a bit of a difference? Um, and then what's the plan to perhaps no longer take a supplement as we move along? If you're finding that with your practitioner, it feels a bit cookie cutter, then I'd definitely ask some questions because, I mean, I would love to believe that every practitioner out there has the patient's best interest at heart and that the finances are an added bonus. And absolutely, we have to make a living. Um, you know, everybody needs to pay the bills. Mm. There are some clinics out there who um, prescribe excessively or prescribe um, the same thing to everyone. And there's certain things that probably most of us could benefit from. I think like good old magnesium is not going to do harm for 99% population we could probably all do with reducing our inflammation um, so yes there's going to be some elements that if you sent five patients in they might all come out with similar um, parts of their treatment plan but if you're feeling like oh this is very same same then I definitely start asking okay do I really need these supplements um, even if it doesn't feel cookie cutter and you just feel that you don't want to take supplements, then have that conversation with your patient, uh, with your practitioner, sorry, and ask, like, is this really necessary? For what time period? Um, is there any other way that we might be able to go about this? And the reality is nine times out of 10, there's always another way. Um, I like to think of it as a pyramid. So down the bottom, we've got, you know, those diet and lifestyle practices. So if you're not eating good quality food, you're not drinking good quality water, or maybe you're not even drinking water, you don't have your bowel moving regularly, you're super stressed out, you're not sleeping, you have poor relationships, then let's work on that first. And mm. the supplements kind of sit at the top of that pyramid and they're just that final cherry on top. Um, yeah, so I do think it's important to ask questions and ask if it is something that's measurable um, or if it's not measurable in, you know, testing and something on paper, then how will it be measurable for you and are there other things you can do as an adjunct that aren't supplements? Yeah, nice. Uh, and I, I think that's just a really great sort of um literacy builder for patients to kind of have a useful conversation when they're concerned they're sort of on supplements, maybe for a long-term situation, mm -hmm. there hasn't been made a plan to yeah. get off them or, um, or when they're just not sure if, if it's overkill. So that's great. Yeah. Um, so let's move into sourcing and how we can know a bit more about where these supplements come from. Um, 
this is a bit of a minefield. Mm. <laughs> it is. I've done some research a couple of times and found, you know, a cheap vitamin C once where I contacted mm. the company and it turns out it was from genetically modified corn and, yeah. and then turned into vitamin C somehow magically ascorbic mm. acid was produced. Yeah. Uh, so there are a few dodgy kind of things going on. Mm. And it, again, just like with personal care and cleaning products, probably more like cleaning products where you don't have disclosure of, mm of what the um, ingredients are often, um, we, can, we can find some nasty stuff. And I think it'd be good to start with uh, fish oil because that has not only a quality and heavy metal contamination um, implication, but also a massive sustainability one, right? Absolutely. Yeah, fish oils are a really good one. And I think that's a particular product where that price point question needs to be hugely flipped on its head because Mm -hmm. when you can walk into a supermarket and buy 570,000 capsules for (laughs) dollars, you have to ask like, how is that possible? And what is this final product that I'm actually consuming? So with fish oil and I mean, not to specify brands that um, I would recommend, but there are a lot of practitioner brands out there as well as some good retail brands that uh, the fish oil that they're using is from small fish, so sardines and anchovies. Um, The reason for that, so the reproductive cycle of those fish is quite short, so it means they're very sustainable. The populations aren't going to be significantly impacted by us fishing them. Um, So that's a really good thing. When we've also got small fish, you're not getting that bioaccumulation of toxins from other fish and from the ocean. So we know that our oceans are quite polluted, very sadly, something that I feel particularly horrified about. But that's the current situation. And when we have these, like the fish as they get larger up the food chain, they're basically consuming the toxicity that inevitably those smaller fish have consumed and then they're storing it in their tissues. So you do get that accumulation, particularly of things like heavy metals, plastics, um, and we don't want that ending up in our end product. Mm. So a lot of the practitioner companies or the, um, the good fish oil companies will not only be using those types of fish, but they'll be rigorously testing them for any of those traces of toxins, so heavy metal or other. Um, The other thing is they won't fish from the, um, I guess, the areas where the populations are really reduced. So we mostly the sustainable areas are around um peru and that kind of i'm really bad with geography so (laughs) but i know like peru chile i don't know if that's close by and super close okay great (laughs) well i know that they're quite sustainable fishing areas um you'll also find that these companies won't be going out and mass trawling the ocean so often they are um line fishing or going out with like individual fishermen and the processing will start right on the dock. So you're not getting the chance for that oil to oxidize or go rancid. Mm. If we look on the other side of um, the fish oil spectrum and we're looking at some of those cheaper, less good fish oil products, what we find is they're usually using large fish or any fish and they there's big trawling vessels that go out and they just catch everything. Um, that's obviously dangerous or like dolphins or uh, I guess any marine life other than the ones that we want for the fish oil. And it's not sustainable because they're just taking anything that's there. There's no regard for the populations in the ocean. And then essentially what they do is go through big processing factories um, where they grade the fish oil based on its quality. So At the cheapest end, you're going to be looking at a product that is essentially rancid. And when we're taking a fish oil to reduce our inflammation and now we've got a rancid oil, suddenly we're actually taking something that can be making the problem worse. So fish oil is one that I feel fairly strong about. Um, I'd say you're actually better off taking none and looking at reducing inflammation through your diet and lifestyle practices rather than taking a cheap fish oil, which is potentially exacerbating those symptoms. Yeah, so this is definitely not a case of, well, I can't afford the good ones so I'll at least get something. 
No. Definitely not the case mm. for that. Um, also, I mean, a good way to know if your fish oil is rancid is firstly, how does it smell? So a lot of these practitioner brands, you can actually pierce the capsule or you can chew the capsules and the fish oil inside will taste. It should taste like of the ocean, but it shouldn't be really fishy. Um, I think the good comparison is, you know, if you walk past like a seafood shop and some of them smell nice and fish and like a, a fresh and a bit salty and ocean mm. versus the ones where you have to hold your nose because it's yeah. really pungent and you just want to get past as quick as possible. Yeah. Your fish oils should smell like the good fish shop. And if it smells like the bad fish shop, then it is definitely rancid. Um, also, fish oil shouldn't inherently cause reflux. So, again, if someone says, oh, I can't take fish oil because it gives me reflux, mm. chances are you've been taking a rancid oil. So um, that's another way to tell. But I'd say don't even do the test, to be honest. Um, get a practitioner quality fish oil and make sure that you're working with a practitioner who can advise if you actually need it because it may not be the thing that you need for whatever the symptom it is amazing for many things but as we were saying before if you don't have that diet and lifestyle in check then it's not necessarily going to give you all of the benefits that you were hoping for yeah great advice um and in terms of uh ascorbic acid then mm. what are we what do we need to do about the way we procure vitamin c if we think we want some extra yeah. vitamin c in the mix so this will really come down to the different companies. So you can get um, supplements that have a food-derived vitamin C mm -hmm. and you can get some that have um, basically synthetic vitamin C. And I think the word synthetic comes with some bad connotations. So it's yes, we're going to have some supplements that have been um, synthesized, synthesized in a laboratory yeah. and that's, that's what it means. Um, it's obviously not great. And if we want to do, well, in a sense, if we're trying to do everything natural and we just want to eat the food, then that's not going to align with our values. But at the same time, using something that's been synthesized in a laboratory, if it's responsible um, and they're not using poorly sourced, um, you know, starting ingredients, they don't have poor processing methods, it's not going to be harmful. It's just not, in inverted commas, entirely natural. Mm. So with vitamin C, a lot of the time that ascorbic acid um, in companies that don't have that strong stance will be from genetically modified corn, as you experienced. But you can have companies, and this is the job of your practitioner, to know that they don't have genetically modified ingredients in their products. Mm. Um, you can always call the comp companies directly and they should be able to give you that information. If they can't give you that information, that's a pretty good sign that like, if they don't know themselves what their <laughs> ingredients are, then probably I would look elsewhere. Yeah. Um, or otherwise, yeah, go for those food-based supplements um, if that's more aligned with your values and maybe if you don't have a huge therapeutic requirement for something like vitamin C and you can get it through supplements that may be a slightly lower dose. In terms of bioavailability, it's pretty similar across the board, whether it comes from food-based supplement versus a synthetic supplement. Um, and with the synthetic, I don't like the word synthetic, but essentially that is what it is. Um, a lot of the time the practitioner brands will come along with other antioxidants and bioflavonoids so that it almost recreates um, some of the things that you would get if you were eating the whole food. Right. Amazing. And why would we therefore eat the artificial version, mm. even though it's not harmful versus mm. getting it from real food? Yeah, I guess at the end of the day, it's down to the individual patient and what their therapeutic need is. So mm -hmm. gotcha. one that has like a super high requirement for vitamin C, let's say we've got an acute infection and we want someone to be having a thousand milligrams of vitamin C every couple of hours, that might not be sustainable for them from a food. So if they're having to sit down and, you know, freshly juice oranges in the middle of their influenza or something like that, it, it just might not be feasible for their particular state. They might um, literally be too sick to eat yeah, as well. Yeah. Really. <laughs> so I guess in that situation, 
you know, we would go for the supplement form. So it really does come down to what's achievable for the person. Another situation and actually the population that I work a lot with is children. Mm. So sometimes you just can't get them to eat the food that's going to have the therapeutic value that they need. So that might be a situation where we say, okay, yep, this is a synthetic supplement, but the you know, if we do the cost benefit analysis, the benefit is going to far outweigh any cost of it being synthesized in the lab versus them eating the whole food. Mm. Um, and yeah. often with kids, it's the very nutrients that are going to balance them out that are going to get them eating a bigger variety of foods anyway. So yeah, it's, that's it's so true. Definitely a necessary means. Yeah. Um, sometimes with vitamin C supplements, especially when they come from natural sources like acerola berry and things like that. I've seen on the labels, um, you know, the California Prop 65 warning. Um, uh, I think the Health Force has one for lead. And mm. I remember I contacted that company and they said that is just a requirement by law. Okay. And it is literally because that berry is grown in soil and oh. soil has trace lead in it. Mm. And so they therefore have to have the California Prop 65 warning on the label. Mm -hmm. So sometimes um, label warnings can freak us out, mm -hmm. but it's actually just naturally occurring trace elements in the yeah. soil. Like yeah. how do we not freak out? What are some really <laughs> great questions we can ask yeah. um, to mitigate us thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I'm taking a terrible supplement. Yeah. So again, I guess this is where you as the consumer shouldn't have to all the time. I mean, it's good to be savvy and to be asking mm. questions, but with supplements and working with a practitioner, the practitioner is the one who should be navigating that for you and ensuring right. what you are taking isn't going to freak you out. And if there's scary things on the label that they understand what that is and that they've back checked it. Um, I think that Yes, there can be traces of things in the soil and there's certain supplements to be particularly mindful of. I know with lead, um, calcium was another one that there were a few, well, quite a few um, instances where there were high levels of lead in actually natural calcium supplements. So whether that was from bone or I think dolomite was the other one. Um, and actually it was at problematic levels. But with the supplement companies, they should be doing the testing and they should have all of that data. And usually with the really um, good and vigilant companies, they'll have that batch per batch. So not only is it that they've tested it once and they've said, yeah, it's fine, but for every single batch of supplement that they're doing, they should be able to assure you that it's below whatever that recommended level of whatever heavy metal or um, toxin we're looking at is. Yeah, great. Um, and then when it comes to uh, herbs, mm. that's one that um, I remember my um, naturopath, uh, Christine, who had to go back to Germany a few mm. years ago, she had done a lot of research into herbs coming out of certain countries and found some seriously dodgy mm -hmm. stuff going on. Mm -hmm. uh, is with When it comes to herbs, obviously we want to make sure um, when we're working with a practitioner, the practitioner's got our back. Yeah. But sometimes you just want to go and buy some olive leaf at the chemist. Is an organic certification useful in cases like that? Um, it depends what we're looking at. So mm -hmm. organic certification, yes, that's going to ensure that, yeah, there isn't residue of pesticides or solvents or whatever chemicals could potentially be there. But I know a lot of the issue with some particular herbs has been um, when they are imported and we can't grow every possible herb in Australia. We don't have the climate for it. So on importation, there has been times where a company thinks they're importing a particular herb, but when they've actually analysed it, it ends up being a completely different plant. Mm. Um, a lot of plants look similar. So whether it's been malicious on the part of the grower or whether it's been an honest mistake, not sure. But you don't want to be taking a supplement where you think it's, let's say, you think it's St John's wort and it's something completely different. Yeah. Um, so that is, again, back on the manufacturer. Um, and I guess... Probably the biggest advice I would have there is ensuring that you're not 
buying heaps of herbs online because while that's something that is available to us um, and it's great for particular supplement companies, we can't know all of them and what their stance is, um, how rigorously they're checking things. I do know that a lot of the Australian companies, um, they do look very closely. So again, at every single batch of herb that's coming in, they I'm not entirely sure what the technology is that they use, but they're essentially looking at the active constituents. And from that, they can identify, yes, this is the correct plant um, and that it has the you know, dosage of what it says on the label actually contained in the product. Um, because that's another thing that's definitely happened with supplements across the board, that what people say is in it isn't necessarily what's in it. Um, the TGA is really, really good at monitoring that in Australia. So again, I think the issue is more overseas. Mm. Yeah, I know in the States, for example, virtually anyone can create a supplement and label it and put it on a shelf. And there isn't quite as strict a process in testing and around the claims that they can make um, regarding those products. So yeah, if it's from Australia, you've got the um, Therapeutic Goods Association, um, basically their TGA number approval number on there you know you're getting something that has been rigorously tested and that the claims that they're making are accurate mm, fantastic it's great to know we've got that security here but yeah. also important for our overseas listeners to go okay i'm going to look for some certification or work with a practitioner who really knows yeah definitely. Fantastic. Okay. So the next question I had for you was around additives and stabilizers. Mm. Uh, not ascorbic acid. We've talked about that. Silicone and mm. magnesium stearate. Mm. They seem to appear a lot on labels. Can you talk us through both of those and yay, nay, further yeah. questions, case yeah. by case? Yeah. Look, it's, um, I mean, the fact that they are used in the products there is some body of evidence to suggest that they're not going to cause harm. Um, so, I mean, magnesium stearate is usually used in tablets as like a binder. Mm -hmm. um, the main issue with that is that it can bind up with other nutrients that are in the tablets and essentially stop you from absorbing them. Mm -hmm. um, with the silicon, it's more... Um, I believe used as like an anti-caking agent. So if we're thinking powders, um, I guess inside capsules as well, if you yeah have a capsule and that powder is still free flowing inside. Um, and the main issue with that one, it's been deemed fine for human consumption, but there were some animal studies that suggested it could cause mucosal irritation. Um, it just really, we're looking at at what level. So if you're taking one capsule a day versus taking five tablespoons of something, you're getting a different amount of those excipients. So it kind of is a case by case basis, but personally where we can avoid any excipients in products, I'd say that's better um, because they're not necessarily doing research around every facet of how it can influence our health. So around, yeah, it's binding capacity or blocking capacity of other um, nutrients or um, ingredients in that supplement around not just instant you know is it going to am i going to swallow it and have an instant gastric irritation but also long-term um, effects of consumption um, also looking at different stages of the life cycle so is it fine for adults versus babies um, so i think where we can avoid and minimize any excipients it's definitely better mm. um, again the way to do that is usually with practitioner supplements, but there are some really good retail supplements that will have low excipients and they should be listed on the label. Um, however, like, so if it's a powder, it will usually say the excipients, but it's not always um, completely disclosed. Yeah. Definitely with tablets, it's not going to um, always disclose, you know, they often have like a film around the outside to make it easier to swallow and to neutralize any taste that might come from the tablet. They always have to have some kind of binder so that it can stay in tablet shape. So our best way to avoid um, excipients is to go for capsules um, and powders if they're from a reputable company that 
don't add like heaps of flavors or um, often they can use things to, um, I've forgotten the term for it, but to basically ensure that they're distributing the actual active ingredients of that product through the whole product. So I know, for example, maltodextrin is often used um, because it, oh, there's a word for it, but it's completely escaped my mind. Um, but basically, if, you're, if you've got a powder, you don't want to get like, you put your teaspoon in and the top layer is all your zinc and the bottom layer is all your something else. So they use that maltodextrin to ensure that everything's appropriately dispersed through, oh, it might be that dispersing agent. Yeah, so that everything is equal and you know that per teaspoon, you're roughly getting the same ingredients, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, that's perfect. And so you mentioned flavours there. Uh, and this has come up a couple of times over the years when I've had to take certain things. Um, I know there are a couple of brands that are quite flavour happy and, uh, and it just definitely doesn't taste natural, even though it says natural flavours. I mean, we know that that can be a blanket term for all sorts of things. Yeah. Is it a case of case by case again and the benefit of everything else that's in that product outweighing any negative impact if it's for a therapeutic reason and that thing's going to help drive that patient forward? Yeah, yes and no. So yes, definitely. And sometimes, you know, if there's a particular supplement or a particularly terrible herbal medicine that I want to get into someone, then however we can get it in, is better than not having it in some situations. However, within that, there's definitely companies that do their best in using completely natural um, flavor enhancers. So I'm thinking of a particular um, practitioner brand that in some of their products, they actually use coconut water powder um, and cinnamon powder, which is actually really nice tasting. Mm. You can get like freeze dried berry powders and things like that, that will very naturally enhance the flavor or sort of mask the flavor of some of those bad tasting nutrients. Um, Yeah, the whole natural flavoring, it does raise questions because it doesn't necessarily, like it can be nature identical, which isn't actually a natural. No, exactly. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So yes, case by case, but we can always start with our best possible option and move down the ladder from there, I guess. Yeah. And I guess the reason I wanted to bring that one up and the gray area of something Mm -hmm. like that is that often people go on a low tox kick and are trying to get rid of everything. And Mm -hmm. that can then become almost stressful if it comes up and you feel backed into a corner because Mm -hmm. there's no other option. We have to be able to go with the flow when the right case says, you know what, it's actually more important that you take this for these reasons. Yeah than to not take it for that one little reason. Yeah, I would totally agree. Just on taste though, I have to say that there, we, with supplements, they're a medicine essentially. So they're not supposed to... Taste not like amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't tell you the number of patients that have said to me, oh, I can't taste, take that, it tastes too bad. And like the actual practitioner in me will always navigate that and find an alternative. But there is a little voice in me saying, please just take it because it's a medicine and it's get over it. Like, you know, if we, I just have hideous memories of being a child and being given the banana flavored antibiotics. Ew. Oh my gosh. Horrible. And I mean, questionable as to whether I actually needed them, but that's another story, but you know, it's a medicine and you know, it's going to taste bad and you just take it. And you move on with it because it's really occupying about one millisecond in your day. Um, So I think that's, yeah, yes, let's do the nice tasting powders if possible. But if you've been given a hideous tasting herbal mix, (laughs) it's just remember it's a medicine. It's not a culinary experience. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a great point. I love it. I remember when Seb was, uh, I think from the time that he was about two, um, our old naturopath, Christine, mm-hmm. had him, like if he was ever coming down with something and it seemed like he was going to be getting a cold or um, or get sick, she would get me to crush half an armour force mm-hmm. into a teaspoon and then make the rest of the teaspoon up with maple syrup. Ooh. And um, <laughs> the teaspoon, well, so there wouldn't really be much in there, but um, yeah. we called it the yucky one. Yeah. <laughs> it was the stuff it 
So he knew it was yucky, but yeah. he knew it also did really good things for him yeah. and that he'd just get the slight sweet kick from the maple syrup to make it doable, Yeah, but yeah. that it wasn't going to be yummy. You know yeah. what I mean? I think we try too hard sometimes to convince our kids that it's great to take. Yeah. Yeah. And I was actually of the opinion, I'm just going to be brutally honest and say this is disgusting, but it's oh. super handy if, if we don't want to get sick and miss playgroup tomorrow where we're going to see all our friends and play with the trucks. Yeah. And he totally got that. Um, yeah. And I think we can forget that just being honest with our kids and explaining the situation, explaining the reasons they need to take something really calmly before they're taking it mm. so it's not a stressful in-the-moment thing Yeah, can be really, really useful. Yeah, I often find that compliance with kids isn't, so bad mm. uh, some of my worst compliance is with the adult patients so <laughs> ah interesting I think often the kids like it might taste bad and yes we can come up against challenges of they'll take it for a while and then they'll refuse um, but yeah as you say it's just having that honest conversation and I mean for me I remember it was always you get the jelly bean after you've had your antibiotics which again that's so counterproductive I know <laughs> doing the best we knew at that point in time I'm sure we could find a a healthier alternative to that these days. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so when it comes to taking supplements, mm -hmm. there's obviously uh, a few nutrients that are really effectively given at clinical doses if one can eat. Let's assume one can eat in this situation well enough to eat, mm. you know, three meals a day, a couple of snacks, whatever. Um, what are the best nutrients? to get from food when you have a blood test or another test showing um, deficiencies? Yeah. So I think, um, I mean, one of the biggest ones that jumps out to me is zinc. Mm -hmm. um, zinc, I mean, it's such a crucial nutrient. We need it for everything, um, well, almost everything. And oysters are essentially a therapeutic dose of zinc per oyster. So, I mean, with one oyster, you'll reach your recommended daily intake of zinc so if you sat down to a lovely half dozen then you've definitely given yourself a therapeutic dose wow. um, not everyone likes oysters and I understand that but if you're having and I guess with all of the nutrients the key is to have a really varied whole food diet and you'll be pretty much getting there mm -hmm. um, selenium is another really well-known one so the good old three brazil nuts to give you a therapeutic dose of selenium is accurate um, and even things like um, sweet potato so even though we're not getting vitamin a in its retinol form you're getting beta carotene and that will convert into the equivalent of your recommended daily intake of vitamin a so i believe that just a half a cup of sweet potato will hit that um, daily intake but even you know if we're eating like i'm thinking probiotics for example um by eating heaps of really good fiber and giving yourself those prebiotics you're actually increasing those beneficial populations in your gut anyway without taking a probiotic and then on top of that if you eat fermented foods um you'll be adding even more to that so yeah i guess a whole food varied diet you're going to tick most of your boxes Unless, you know, um, if we're thinking someone's on a more plant-based diet, we know they're definitely not going to get B12. So that's a situation where you definitely want to look at a supplement. Um, but aside from that, yeah, food is medicine and we really can get most of what we need from our food. Mm, such, such great um, points there. And we had a fantastic show with... Georgia Lenerman, who I know you love as well. Yeah. Uh, it was about a year and a bit ago, but I'll pop it in the show notes for everybody where we talked about um, the best supplementation through traditional foods. Yes, I know. She's a huge oh my gosh, person. the clinical doses were incredible. And yeah, there is amazing nutrition in, in the foods that are available to us. Mm. And I think another thing to note, because yes, we know our soils are more depleted now than they were 20, 30, 50 years ago, mm. it's true. And so with the soil being depleted, it does mean that a lot of those nutrients are depleted in our food. However, I feel that a lot of people are kind of holding on to that, like, oh, our soil's depleted, so our food's depleted, so I'm not going to, you know, 
put so much effort into the food and I'll just go to the supplements, but then continue to maybe eat processed and packaged foods that are going to be even more depleted or eating lots of sugar, which will actually deplete you further of your nutrients. So yes, there are some um, facts there that the food that we're eating today is not quite as nutritious, but we can still do really, really well with what we've got available to us. Um, and yeah, absolutely. I know Georgia has all of the tips and tricks around that um, with her like nose to tail eating. And I remember even things like she has a recipe for carrot top pesto. Like I would mm. never want to eat the carrot tops, but they're really nutrient dense as well. And um, we can avoid that food waste when we're eating the whole plant or the whole animal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I'd love to ask you when coming back to supplements, pills versus capsule versus powder versus injection IVs. Yeah. What is the best way to get our supplements if we are supplementing? Yeah. So it will depend on what it is that you're taking. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say in order to avoid excipients, where possible, we go for capsules or really quality powders or liquids. Yeah. Uh, much to people's horror often. <laughs> um, yes, we can do intravenous um, for some nutrients, but not for all nutrients. Um, we can also do transdermal. So you can get some nutrients absorbed through the skin. So for example, magnesium is quite well absorbed and we can do that easily at home by having a bath in magnesium flakes um, or Epsom salts. They're not quite as well absorbed, but better than none at all. Um, Even iron, zinc, we can get through the skin in transdermal creams. Um, But yeah, I'd say really looking at the type of nutrients. So have we got a water-soluble nutrient versus a fat-soluble nutrient? If you've got a fat-soluble nutrient, you really want that to be in a capsule combined with some oils or something to help with that assimilation. If you've got a water-soluble nutrient, then that can still be in a veggie cap or in a powder. um, And that's going to yeah, be best for absorption as well as lowered excipients. Um, There are, um, so one of the supplement distributors actually has a stomach simulator in their, I guess in their warehouse or somewhere in their lab. Their lab. Wow. Testing every single product that they um, carry and they put it through this stomach simulator. And if it doesn't break down in 30 minutes before it would evacuate the stomach, then they send it back. So they're basically ensuring that not only are you swallowing supplement and that what's on the label is inside but once it hits the stomach you're actually going to break it down so that you can absorb it um, because we don't want it to pass too far through digestion without absorption and then virtually it's just a really expensive poo <laughs> yeah absolutely that's such a great thing to know isn't it <laughs> um, wow and I, like i don't want to endorse any companies here but yeah. i feel like people should know that one because that's a really that's going the extra mile to make sure that it's going to be of value to people. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you want me to name the? I think you should. Yeah, like well, this is not something I planned. I didn't even know it was going to come up. But... I'm, I'm not affiliated at all with any of these companies. So, well, the distributor is Integria. Um, mm. They distribute brands like Mediherb, Eagle, um, Oh gosh, there's heaps, but I don't know what they are. But Integria is the brand, is the distributor. So and Mediherb I- is the um, the brand where so many of the liquid herbs that get yeah. prescribed is from. So that's yeah. great to know. Mm. And with the liquid herbs, I mean, we do have to look at a lot of these same issues. So around sustainable sourcing, around um, sustainable, you know, farming practices, um, ensuring that the active constituents are actually present in the herb. Um, so Mediherb is just one of a few companies in Australia that all do have really rigorous standards around that. And the real beauty of liquid herbs, and I have a huge passion here, um, yes, they can taste quite bad and I get you get over it though yeah you yeah. do i actually think they taste kind of nice even the really bad ones it's like oh it's doing something good for me yeah i agree <laughs> but with liquid herbs not only can we reduce the amount of packaging so they're coming to you in a glass bottle so that can be recycled um, some practitioners will actually collect bottles back and send them off to be um, properly sterilized so they mm. can- yeah i've seen a couple of those um, yeah i personally don't keep a dispensary 
in my clinic at the moment. So that's not something that I'm doing, but um, when I do, I will. And yeah, you can ensure that you're tailoring a supplement that is entirely what that patient needs. So it's not like you're picking three things off the shelf to ensure that you've crossed all your bases. You can in one herbal formula, make sure that it's only what that patient needs and at their required levels. So I really feel really passionate about herbal medicine and not only as a therapy for patients, but as a way to support the environment. Um, with the herbal manufacturers in Australia, I know they do all only source from farms that have, um, uh, what's the word? A starts with C and it's escaped my brain, but um, <laughs> basically a practice around um, sustainability and ensuring that the environment isn't going to be affected. So um, yeah, it's really, really important. Mm, wonderful. So good. Um, and then uh, last question, how best do we navigate coming off supplements? Yeah. So, you know, it, I'm just trying to paint a couple of scenarios that are in my mind or that I've come across in my time. Maybe it's a family who doesn't have the budget to just keep mm -hmm. going back and seeing a practitioner every month or so. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and they're feeling great all of a sudden and they think the supplement's done its job. Mm. Are there cases where a supplement does its job, like in acute treatment cases, mm. and then you don't need to take it anymore versus chronic cases or maybe genetic makeup that means you're just someone that's going to have to be on particular supplements ongoing potentially? Yeah. Definitely. And the word mm. just came back to me, conservation. Ah, there we go. Good. <laughs> conservation project. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's always, I guess, what I say to my patients is that if we're taking supplements, the aim isn't for you to be on it forever, short of there being that genetic um, issue or some sort of variant where we require a supplement more ongoing. But in a lot of cases, you don't actually need it forever. It may just be a kind of little gap in their health that you keep your eyes on to see if they need a supplement again. But essentially, if someone has to take a supplement forever, then I haven't done my job because what the supplement should be is a bridge between where someone's health is now and where we want them to get to. And from there, there should have been enough education in that process that they have the diet nailed, they have lifestyle strategies, and that they can then manage their health from their kitchen or from their own home. Um, in terms of knowing when to come off supplements, it's different depending on the situation. So sometimes, yes, we might want to test something to make sure that maybe those blood parameters have come up to a more acceptable level. But oftentimes, you know, if someone has been feeling like a bit of a pincushion, they've had heaps of blood tests, they've maybe done a hormone analysis or they've done an organic acids test or there's something and they've done tests galore, I'd actually rather be guided by symptoms mm. and then we can always go back to what we were doing. So what I've learned over the years is that you don't want to stop things as soon as someone feels good because mm. often we can get excited and be like, great, you're feeling better. Let's just stop everything. And then they can go backwards. I think it's the same as, you know, there used to be when we'd be sick, you'd have your period of sickness and then your period of convalescence where you're not sick, but you're not quite well. And just allowing yourself to kind of move through that and not necessarily getting back to everything that you did before. Mm. Same with supplements. We have our period of symptoms and then we take the supplements, we change the diet, we change the lifestyle and we feel well, but we want to give that period of convalescence where we're just holding things in place for long enough to ensure that actually it's going to continue progressing the way it has. Um, I mean, with the supplements, I can't yet think of a situation where they're literally the difference between life and death. So by stopping a supplement and seeing how you feel, it's not that you're going to keel over and that will be the end. It can bring back some pretty nasty symptoms. So looking at what you were experiencing before, feeling into how you feel now, and then, yeah, I'd say always just give it a go. Um, if it's not something that's measurable and if you feel like you don't want to do those tests or maybe they're not absolutely necessary for you. Mm, fantastic advice. Thank you so much, Katie, for taking us on this Pleasure. supplement navigation journey. <laughs> I feel like people are going to be armed with good questions to either ask a company directly 
if they're purchasing online for whatever reason, they're doing that alone <laughs> um, versus um, just making sure they check in with their practitioner, let them know their values and say, look, these things are really important to me. So when you're recommending supplements, I'd really appreciate knowing that you've checked the brands out that you're going to be recommending um, and, uh, and just thinking about that sustainability piece a bit more mm. and the magic of herbs all coming in mm. one magical bottle yes. that is glass that's recyclable. <laughs> yeah, there's a, so many little things to think about. But mm. I think when it comes to our health, it's also important that if we're dealing with something acute and we need to get mm. out of there, that's a grey area where we can just go with the flow. If the yeah. practitioner we're working with is saying, you know what, yeah, sure, it comes in a plastic bottle, but mm -hmm. this is going to really help you right now. Absolutely. Be able to do so much more good for the world when you're feeling great. Um, yeah. And I absolutely still prescribe products that do come in the plastic bottle. Um, yeah, it's not that I now don't prescribe anything and I'm not at all impacting the environment, but I think it's being a lot more conscious around it and really asking the question like, do I need this and for how long? Um, and is there another way that we can maybe achieve the same outcome? Yeah. And I think it comes down to making sure that if that is our value as a patient, that we work with practitioners who are aligned in that value. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. It was awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body and mind topics as well as kids and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you, inspire you to take community action. Uh, and uh, there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit uh, stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written over the past nine years of writing a blog. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life, so you can find it really, really simply. Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added and I can't wait to see where that community takes us. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, you're going to get bonus uh, Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week. Today